say hi. This is Zachariah Jacob James Lincoln. How cool is this? This is Mike and Wendy's new son, and he's got five sisters and four brothers. Number 10. Number 10. And uh, he was born just last week. Look at him. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That's good. You're feeling good. Father, thank you so much for for life. Oh, yeah. Thank you for uh, Zechariah. And thank you for Mike and Wendy. I pray that as he grows up to be a young man that he gets to hear about you just like the people today are going to hear and that he will understand that you love him dearly, that you care for him, and that you died for him. And that someday, Father, that you will be the Savior and the Lord of his life, that you will just uh, lead him all the days of his life. So I pray for Mike and Wendy that you would just give them wisdom, give them love and mercy and care for this child. And thank you for this group of people that sit here, that they help raise this child, that they together as a community love and care for one another. So today, Lord, we give you thanks for life, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, brother. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Look after his mom. Such a cute baby. It almost like never fails. It's almost like when we experience uh, a death in this community, it seems like we experience a birth in this community, which is kind of it's the whole cycle of life. And this last week, we did a funeral for this family over here, uh, uh, a mom and a grandmother and a great-grandmother. She was five months short of 100 years old, Mary Tooley. And uh, she loved Jesus. And I asked Phil this morning if he could just, if he could paint a picture of how his mother painted Jesus to the family. So, Phil, I just want you to, like, don't, don't take all morning, but just. <laughs> just into here? Yeah, you don't have to get real far. This good? Yeah. Okay, good. you can hear me? Um, when. Somebody comes up to you and says in five minutes, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm, uh, there's so much going through my mind that it's hard to capture. How did she paint Jesus? Uh, I, would, I would say if it, it's not um, maybe possible to do in one word, but she was always there. And just... Uh, it, it's maybe different today, but if I can tell you that growing up in the 50s and uh, and uh, some in the 60s, that it was a different culture in one way that I never thought about her not being there, uh, both my parents not being there. And when I think about her always being there, the pictures that you've seen recently on Facebook, if you've seen any of these pictures, was not the mom that was always there. 
never, never wavering from uh, her beliefs. And that's how I would say that she reflected Christ. She was solid um, from the time she would be reading to us uh, to the time she'd be chasing us with a switch, um, which was actually a good thing because maybe she dealt with it before my dad got home, and that that usually ended better than when he got home. But she was um, – uh, we, we tried to uh, – uh, honor her with three or four words um, uh, as we reflected over her life to Rusty. It was very hard to hard to do, but um, of course, love and and uh, and generally kindness came, uh, sacrifice, and uh, but teacher came up more than more than one time too. And I would say that as uh, if I look back and had to sum up who she was and how she re- did reflect her faith, it would be uh, that she was a teacher and that she was uh, solid and she was always there. We never never thought that about her not being there. Short Thank enough? You. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great picture talking about presence presence of Jesus in our life, that he's always present, and that he was a teacher, that he was kind, that he was loving, and that Mary portrayed that. When I say Mary, I'm talking about Phil's mom. Uh, But a beautiful picture. But then we also have this picture that we grew up with, right? This picture right here. Pastel Jesus is what I call him. And there's just something about that picture right there that uh, I believe it's true. I believe that he loved the children. I believe that he was sensitive to them. I believe that he wanted them to come to him. And I believe that he was capable of looking like that. But let's take that away. Because uh, today I'm going to paint a little bit different picture of who Jesus was as we continue our story. When we left Last week at Easter, we left him proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel. And it was very clearly in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, like I've come to tell you there is good news. If you would just change your mind. If you just change your mind really from uh, an old way of thinking to a new way of thinking, I would be happy to do this for you, is really what he's saying. Just change the way that you're thinking. And the kingdom of heaven is here. I'm it. And then we... You remember that as we take this walk through the Gospels that we're, we're trying to take everything in chronological order here. So we're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who they all wrote uh, different stories, different letters about Jesus, but only one of them kept it chronologically, and that was Luke. 
but today I'm looking uh, at several different passages. Uh, as he said, repent, the next thing is in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned to Galilee. Do you remember where Galilee is? Galilee is at the north end of Israel, the Sea of Galilee up there. you got the Dead Sea at the bottom and the Sea of Galilee at the top. And Galilee is where he did most of his ministry. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Man, if, if I'm up here speaking without that right there, uh, you're not hearing much. And I don't take that lightly. I believe that the things that as I read and as I unpack this and unfold this, that I'm assuming that the Spirit is doing that for me. And in the same way, he did it for Jesus. And the power of the Spirit and the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being acclaimed by everyone. What's happened here is this Jesus person is being recognized as a rabbi, as a teacher. But he's also done some miracles. He's done some things already, like he's turned the water into the wine, and he's healed people, and people are starting to talk. And the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and all those leaders of the Old Covenant begin to go, could this be the Messiah? They've been waiting for the Messiah since Genesis chapter 3. That's the first book of the Bible. Once the fall happened in the garden, they've been waiting for someone to save them from their sin that separated them from God throughout the whole Scripture. There has to be a Messiah that's coming. And let's just be honest here. Let, let, let's, let's really paint a picture of what they expected in a Messiah. They're Jews, and from... Their history, we know that they were taken into captivity by the Egyptians and used, for slave, used as slaves for hundreds of years. We know that they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, and they were, have been dispersed many, many times. Over, you just go, we've, we've gone through the Old Testament, we've read the Old Testament, how many times they've been displaced from their land, and they've lost things, and they're poor. Remember, Paul's like going around asking for money for the Jews back in Jerusalem. They're devastated. And so now, they're there once again, and they're looking for someone to come and defeat all their enemies that have destroyed them over the hundreds and thousands of years. Like, we need, we've got a Messiah that's coming, and he's going to be like this superhero that we see in almost every movie today. They're expecting this, this guy to come in and just like take all their enemies out. That's what they're expecting. Yet, Jesus, he comes in. It's kind of quiet. Yet can't help being talked about because of all the things that he's doing. And then we jump to John chapter 4. This gets really interesting right here. Verse 46 says... Then he went again to Cana. Remember where Cana was? Cana was where he, it's actually about 30 miles just west of Galilee. It's where he did his first miracle with his mom, turned the water into wine. He said, he went to Cana of Galilee where he turned the water into wine. There was 
a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. Now, let's let's back up a little bit because you, even though it just says right here that there's a, a royal official, let's figure out who this is. First of all, there there is Herod the Great, who was this incredible ruler that was that, that had no heart. Killed his wife, killed his own, killed his own kids. You know, he was just whatever it took for him to be ruler. And then he has this son, Herod Antipas, and this is the one that's actually in charge at this point. He's the one that's afraid of what's about to happen. But Herod Antipas, he he has no value for family because remember we talked about him about a week or so ago where John the Baptist called him out where he married his brother's wife. So there's no regard for family. This is the guy that's like in charge of this whole area. And now an official from Herod Antipas government comes in and says, hey, I need something from you. It says, when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. That's, that's just crazy to think about. Here's a, here's a Roman official from Herod Antipas. And he's like coming to Jesus and saying, I need help to save my son. And Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And you have to think about this right here. When this Roman official came to Jesus, and then Jesus says this line right here to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Was he saying to this Roman official, will you believe after I do this miracle or if I do this miracle will it confirm that you already believe and the official says to him sir come down before my boy dies like this is a plead he's desperate I'm not here to like play the the Hebrew question game I just need you to come save my son And Jesus told him, go, your son will live. And, and get this right here, it's this, it's this simple. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. It's, it's that simple. Look, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you just have to believe. Go back to Genesis chapter 17. Abraham believed and he was credited righteousness. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't even have to live the law out. He just had to believe. And so he's now told this Roman soldier, this Roman official, go, your son is going to be okay. And here's the beauty of it. While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his boy was alive. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. The slaves met him on the road and said, hey, your boy's alive, but watch this. This is, this is the fun part. 
you know, you're not even talking a day's journey away from where he actually lived. If your son's dying and Jesus says, go home, he's alive, would you not be hightailing at home? Like, if you're hightailing at home, you're going, did this really happen? Right? That's me. I want to make sure my boy's alive. I want to hug his neck. And he says, he asked them at that time, what time did he get better? And the slave said, yesterday at 7 in the morning, the fever left him. Wait a second. You mean yesterday? Like, this man didn't go home right away? He didn't go check on his son? Nope. He slept like a baby. He got a good night's sleep. Why? Because he believed. He believed in Jesus. I don't know, I would have been running home. But this man had so much faith in Jesus that he was able just to sleep. And the slave said, It was yesterday. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. He didn't even like go home. He rested. It says, then he himself believed along with his whole household. So not only did now this Roman official of Herod Antipas believe, but now his whole house did. His whole family did because of what just occurred. He's like, I asked Jesus to heal him. He said, he's alive. He's going to be alive. Just go home. And at that very moment, it happened. Can you imagine if you were like hanging out at the son's home? You're, the dad's gone, hanging out, we're gone to find Jesus, and all of a sudden, the boy just gets better. You have no idea what happened. It says, This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. And then we look at Luke chapter 4. Verse 16 says, he came to Nazareth. This is where he grew up. He grew up in a synagogue there in Nazareth, which is obviously when the Jews got dispersed and they couldn't get to Jerusalem, they started all these small synagogues where they could do, they could do the things that they were expected to do in worship. It says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This is the Sabbath. If you're a good Jew, you don't do any work on the Sabbath. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. So Jesus has this scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And he begins to read to it out of Isaiah chapter 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This isn't Jesus' words. Even though it's in red, he's reading Old Testament prophecy. You got that? He's reading something that was written hundreds of years before him. 
He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And all of a sudden, Jesus like takes that scroll and He rolls it up and He sets it down. Now, here's what you have to know. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and you look at Isaiah 61 he read verses 1 and half of 2 and stopped like he literally stopped right there and so he stops in the middle of verse 2 because Isaiah transitioned into end times At that point, he's not talking about the current prophecy. He's talking about prophecy that's going to happen at the end of time. So Jesus wants to focus on the part of Isaiah's prophecy that is referring to the present. And he just stops, and he sets it down. And he's basically saying, this is me. It says, he then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. I would have loved to have been there. Like, you're going to stop right there. One and a half verses. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture, verses 1 and part of 2, has been fulfilled. He's literally saying to him, I'm the one who has come to give the good news to you, the poor. I want you to have freedom. I I, I want you to be able to physically see. I don't want you to be oppressed. And if not you, the Jew, then you, the Gentile. Like, If the Jews aren't going to listen to me, then the Gentiles will. I'm the one that it's talking about here in Isaiah. I'm him. Now, here's an interesting note. This is a little insight. There's no place in the prophets. Basically, got this part of your scripture that we're talking about. There's no place in the prophets where it refers to the Messiah as the one dying on the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that we just read out of Isaiah 61, and if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about the suffering servant and it gives a pretty descriptive, pretty descriptive illustration of the suffering servant dying on the cross. Like, it's pretty exact. But nowhere does Isaiah call that person the Messiah. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, it makes sense to me. They can look at Isaiah 53 and go, well, that's the suffering servant. He's different than the Messiah. That very well could have been Jesus dying on the cross, very well could have been the suffering servant, but he's still not the Messiah. 
But the whole idea of Jesus sitting here saying, I'm reading Isaiah, and I'm him. I'm the one. I'm the same one that you're trying to separate and not claim as the Messiah. That's me. Verse 22, it says, They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? There's no way he can be the Messiah. Like Joseph was a carpenter. Our Messiah is supposed to be like a superhero. He's supposed to come in and save the world. He's supposed to be able to destroy everybody. He's a carpenter's kid. Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself, so all we've, so all we've heard that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also. When he says, Doctor, heal, your, heal yourself, he's really talking about these healings have been done everywhere else, but you haven't done anything here in your own town of Nazareth. Why don't you do some of those healings like you did for the Roman official in Capernaum? Why don't you do those here? And he also said, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many wit widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Now watch this. This is, this is big. It says, Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Like Jesus is saying, Look, you, you, you guys can't see this right here, but you're not accepting me as the Messiah. Just as in the Old Testament, when Elijah came, and you guys didn't accept Elijah. So Elijah went to this lady in Sidon. You know where Sidon is? It's an area that's known for worshiping Baal. A whole nother God. And Elijah went to this woman... A Gentile, not a Jew, but a Gentile, that's a big deal. Elijah went to a Gentile, and then it says, And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were not many in Israel who had serious skin diseases. We call this what? Leprosy. Yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. So in all all the Old Testament, all the Old Testament, all those that experienced leprosy, this skin disease, only one of them was healed. And guess what? Naaman was from Syria, not Israel. Naaman was a Gentile. The Jews never could receive even from Elijah or Elisha. And so it went to the Gentiles. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I'll connect that next week. Verse 28 says, When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was in, enraged. They got up because they're saying, Hey, why are you saying Elijah and Elisha didn't come to the Jews, but they came to these two Gentile people? What are you saying? They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. This is Jesus. They're going to hurl Jesus over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Like they're like running him out of town and he just like passed through. No big deal. It's not going to happen right here. It's not my time. He says, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And this is where Jesus spent most of his time teaching and healing was in Capernaum. Then we uh, move to Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. It says, he left Nazareth behind, went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Like Jesus knew this was what he was supposed to do. And it says right there in Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali along the sea road beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. Jesus once again now has fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Like, put the two together. The Messiah, the suffering servant, put those together. I'm him. And then Mark chapter 1. This is where we'll end up today is in Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, They went to Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. I love it that Jesus did all this on the Sabbath, and there's a reason for that. It says, He went on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because, unlike the scribes, he was teaching them as one having authority. That whole pastel Jesus thing, that's good, but now we're talking about a man who's got, honestly, total authority. Like, you look at this man with respect. It says, just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. An unclean spirit, a wicked spirit, possessed. I'm not going to wrestle with you, argue whether, with you if it was in or on. This man was consumed by an unclean spirit. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene, you nasty man. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Watch this. The Holy One of God. The unclean spirit, the unclean spirit recognized that Jesus was the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be quiet and come out of him. How does he say that? What's, how does Jesus say that? Does he just say, Hey, be quiet and come out of him? Or does he really rebuke him? Be quiet. Come out of him. How does he do it if he's a man of authority? I would assume it's the latter. He says, And the unclean spirit convulsed him. shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. You and I would be there freaking out watching this thing. But it seems like this was a pretty common practice back then. It happened quite frequently. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. (laughs) 
that's, that's embarrassing for the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are standing around because they think they have all the authority. And Jesus comes in and everybody recognizes this man has got something bigger and better. There's a new authority in town. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. News about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Jesus did it again. He's casting demons out. And then verse 29, it says, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house, Simon being Peter. Went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law, what does that tell you? Peter is married. Peter is married. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. It's like she's laying there sick as can be, and all of a sudden Jesus goes over and grabs her hand, and she gets up and starts fixing dinner. That's pretty amazing. Like, usually it takes me a day or two to, like, get my feet back on the ground. She just popped right up and started going. When the evening came, remember this is the Sabbath. It says as soon as they left the synagogue, they went to Simon Andrew's house. That was during the day of the Sabbath. It says when the evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. So now all these Jews who were listening to the Pharisees said, hey, we can't bring our our sick for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath during the daytime, but as soon as that sun goes down and the Sabbath is over, we're taking them to Jesus because we want to obey the law. The law, that's not God's law. That was the Pharisees' oral law. You see... Remember me saying that they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians? When they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians, that's a good one. The Babylonians, when they were taken into captivity, they felt like God's law wasn't big enough, that it didn't protect them. So now we need to add to God's law to protect us. And so that's what the Pharisees did, is they added this oral law, which wasn't God's law. And the oral law says, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't do that stuff. Jesus did. It wasn't God's law, it was man's law. He did everything he could to break their laws. This isn't about you. It says, the whole town assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, drove out many demons... But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Just like that one says, this is is God, this is the Lord of the gods. He's like, I don't need you to tell people who I am. I got this. Just shut your mouth. And we close with this passage, it says, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place. And he was praying there. You're going to see this throughout the Gospels, how many times Jesus got away. Like sometimes you just got to get away. There's so much going on. 
chaos and everything else, you just got to go to a deserted place. And he was praying. And Simon and his companions went searching for him. They found him. Everyone's looking for you. Don't you hate that? Like when you're having your quiet time, somebody comes barging in and interrupts you, and you're just like, oh, I was having this moment. I think the disciples did this to Jesus way too often. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I've come. I've talked with my father. We have a lot to do. Let's go do this thing. So he went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons. That pastel Jesus? Yep. Pretty cool. That Jesus that your mom taught you about? Pretty awesome. This Jesus right here? Speaks with authority? Oh my. Jesus speaks with authority. Watch this. He comes in as a prophet. He leaves as the high priest. When he's crucified, after the crucifixion, his blood is poured out. His blood for our sins. He leaves as the high priest. And then someday, that Jesus, that Jesus, this Jesus, he comes back as king. And that's what I'm waiting for. Father, I thank you for uh, a God that is um, sympathetic with us, that he came, he came here to earth, and he's dealt with the minutiae of this world right here. He understands stress. He understands uh, the thought process, how we have to deal with our thoughts. He, he just totally understands. And so, Lord, I pray today that this God this Jesus comes alive and that people in this room recognize the authority that they have even right inside of them, that God has given them this authority because your spirit lives in us. Your spirit dwells in us each and every day. And so, Father, I pray for a realization right here, even for myself, for my friends, and uh, uh, I just thank you for this opportunity to hang out in your word today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.